0: So, uh, there's just a lot of just expectation for this year. Every year has it. And I think, especially as, as our body is just establishing itself, uh, I've been more stirred not for necessarily just the stuff that's to happen this year, but for the, the lifestyle by which He's ushering us in to bring the realities of heaven here on earth about as a body, as a community, as individuals, and as families. And uh, we're in a prayer challenge. Six weeks, the beginning of the year, we're inviting everybody in to take your lifestyle of prayer to another level. So we're, we're taking at least these first six weeks and focusing in on the Lord's prayer and the different elements of prayer within that. But the only purpose is so that we would take this concept that was transformational in my life and bring it about to, to, to fruition. And what, what was that? Well, I've been a Christian most all of my life. Four years old, I prayed to receive Jesus. And a shift happened in about 2007 when when I came into a teaching, which isn't a new teaching, it's just the Lord's Prayer, what He taught His disciples to pray, what Jesus said to His disciples. Pray like this on earth as in heaven. And all of a sudden I realized that everything in my life was geared not at bringing heaven to earth, but at getting to heaven and bringing as many people as possible with me. The problem is is that that wasn't a bad motivation. What we do with eternity, where we go in eternity, who we spend eternity with is a huge ordeal. Your decision to follow Jesus is a massive one. It's just that Jesus never taught his disciples that the purpose of their life was to get people to heaven. The entire purpose of their being and of following him when they say, Teacher, Rabbi, teach us to pray. That prayer was all about bringing heaven to earth. And as a body... We use the the phrase, till heaven and earth are one. Because within that, there's a sense of of a union, a oneness, a heaven and earth uniting. And then the the bringing about of of a fallen created order that has had the curse broken and had a perfect healer come pay a price for something and then choose to co-labor with his image bearers to bring about wholeness to a world that's desperately in need of healing. On earth as it is in heaven. If we do nothing else as a body but discover the depths of that purpose, we're okay. We can mess a whole lot up if we're anchored in that reality. So, uh, to back, not backpedal, but to just give some context of where we're at again, uh, the, the first week of, of, this, of this prayer emphasis was on adoration, our Father. Just stopping with the first phrase and saying that when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he first and foremost tells them to pray "Our, our Father, which is a concept of to adore your maker who sees you as children and that you get to continue in an inheritance that is far beyond anything you could ever pay for, ask for, or do anything for. The second element, though, is this concept of petition. Petition, and if you, choose, if you uh, turn, let's go ahead and look at it, actually, in case you are not familiar, Matthew 6. Matthew 6 says this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is verse 9. Actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually read the phrase before it. They said, and when you pray, Do not heap empty phrases as the Gentiles do. This is Jesus. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as you've forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So the The Lord's Prayer, Our Father, adoration. But then there's the reality of petition. Petition is another reality of prayer that's essentially just asking God for stuff. How many of you have asked God for stuff ever? That was only about half of the hands. The rest are absolute liars. How many of you have asked God for stuff today yeah, now that's more than half of you because now you're not lying. We, we, it's, you don't have to teach someone to ask God for stuff. Uh, I think in the realm of, of petition, the issue isn't, can I ask God for stuff? The issue is, what do we do when I ask God for stuff and I have all these unanswered prayers? especially when I get past the whole, like, just asking him for, like, selfish things, and I'm actually asking him for what I would consider selfless things or deep, heart-rooted promises that are not being fulfilled, and they're breaking your heart. That's when, it's, that's when it comes down to, what do I do with unanswered prayer? And I don't know a single human being who's walked with God, and even those who haven't walked with God, They carry something on their shoulder about their view of God based on who God is in the realm of unanswered prayer. That is what's what's literally knit into the realm of petition. And I briefly want to just say that Petitioning is an amazing thing. We, we posted this prayer course by Pete Gregg um, that's, that's in our social media and whatnot, and we're, we're just encouraging you guys. It's a weekly video just to get you into the mode of what we're focusing on this week. And this past week, again, was petition. And, and Greg says uh, a couple, I think, really helpful things um, in, in regards to petition prayer, and I'm on the wrong piece of paper. And he says this. He says, he does three things when, when he's praying with the Lord. He keeps it simple, he keeps it real, and he says, keep it up. Keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it up. I think that's really helpful in terms of when I'm going to the Lord, you, you wake up, maybe it's in the morning, you have your quiet time with the Lord, you always have your stuff that you want to bring him. And it's important just to keep it simple, but it's also important to be real, not to kind of sugarcoat things. The Lord, if he makes one thing really clear in Scripture, it's that he's completely uninterested in your sugarcoating anything, ever. He really could care less. He's seen a lot worse stuff than you've ever seen. He's not intimidated by your junk, your problems, or your bad day yesterday. He wants you to keep it real. And he also doesn't want you to stop. I think I mentioned this last week, but sometimes the the goal of your prayer is just to do it. Because when you're doing it, you're positioning yourself to decree to yourself and to God, I'm not giving up on you, I'm offended at you, but I'm continuing to come to you rather than something else. Going to him and keeping it up is, for some of us, is really the only thing that we need to do right now. We have to stay present I think our our culture is the most distracting that the world has ever seen. We can numb ourselves in more ways than we've ever been able to numb ourselves. And that causes us to have a constant invitation from the world to numb and to not stay present with the Lord. And when you stay present with the Lord, you're forced to go to the Lord and to keep asking, keep seeking. That that phrase of of that scripture that we all know, uh, to ask, to seek, and to knock, Jesus says. Ask, seek, knock. The, the phrase in the Greek is actually ask and keep on asking. Knock, keep on knocking. Seek, keep on seeking. In other words, <laughs> it's not going to just happen because you did it today. It's a lifestyle of pursuing the person of Jesus in prayer that does something to your heart in the process. Keep it real. Keep it simple. Keep it up. And then three things with the how. He talks about three things with the how that I thought were, were awfully helpful. Uh, that prayer needs to be incremental. Prayer needs to be specific. And it needs to be systematic. So what does that mean? Incremental. Sometimes we're praying, let's say that, that uh, you're, you're praying for your entire company to worship Jesus. And you work at a place that's filled with atheists and people that hate God. Maybe your, your incremental prayer isn't maybe to wake up every day and I pray that they all bow down under the fire of heaven and worship you, God. Maybe you should just pray for like today, God, I pray for the person next to me that I can actually have a conversation without them yelling at me. Like that's an incremental prayer. So we're going to get to the fire from heaven. Let's start with the opportunity for me to be able to exchange life with this person. That's incremental. Maybe it's for a loved one. We haven't spoken in 20 years, and I'm praying for them to like go to the nations. Maybe pray that the Lord would give you a wisdom or insight at how to call them. Just an incremental step. Let's, let's, let's start praying incrementally, and then let's start praying Specifically, I think I've. that This was something when I, when I kind of just uh, uh, marinated on that concept this week. I realized that I know. Like, how many of you know? Like, uh, are you? You're praying for some things with the Lord. You're seeking and, and praying for breakthrough in certain areas, and you could list them off right now. I, I know a few of you could, right? You could be like, I've got three. I've got ten. I've got five. Whatever it is, right? Hand, uh, that's pretty normal. But I realized that. That While I I could sit down and think of what those things were, those specific things, because I think we all know our heart when we really pause, I think a lot of us need to actually remind ourselves what they specifically are and actually make the list, bring them to the Lord, and actually be accountable to Him. I realize that I don't know how many I have, which means I haven't been specific enough with the Lord. You should be able to go to the Lord and go, these are the things that we are talking about, and we are talking about them, every day. It doesn't mean that I'm asking for a new house, a new car, a new boyfriend. It means it, means it might include one of those things or something, uh, but, but it's, it's more about the things of what are the deep cries of your heart that are the unanswered prayers that you're continually asking, seeking, and knocking about, and how is that conversation going? You need to get specific. If you want a specific answer, you can't not have a specific question. So that's the specific piece. And then finally, systematic. (laughs) Uh, Pete in that video even gives a a great little example of this guy named uh, uh, Ethel Bart. I think that's an old British guy from the 5th or 6th century who had a wife who prayed and knew God, and he did not. So he built her a chapel, and she then prayed for him for 35 years until he encountered God. And you know what happened on top of that chapel? (laughs) The Canterbury Cathedral was built on top of that chapel. And revival hit the entire British Isles from that place. That became a hub because he built his wife a chapel. (laughs) And she prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed. We have to be systematic. (laughs) What's your prayer chapel? And where are you going in standing on the ground of promises and declaring the things of heaven on earth, not being dismayed at the timeline? We have to be systematic. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Okay, so how do we define prayer again in the depths of our hearts? I think that's a huge, huge ordeal. Bill Johnson has been a a mentor from afar of mine. And in some of the things that he has, has uh, shared that have just literally gotten to the core of what I believe have been the misconceptions that have been the roots of bad theology in my life. Um, one, of, one of the things he says is, uh, is this about prayer. Prayer is my response to God's invitation to come boldly into a throne room and there to have discourse that alters the course of world history. Prayer is my response to his invitation to boldly come into his throne room and there to have discourse that changes the course of world history. There's a constant tension of we're changing history and we're not looking over just the stuff in our heart that's keeping any distance between my relationship with the Lord, my wife, and those closest to me it's practical it's personal and it's global all at the same time and so the lord's prayer has has a couple themes it has a theme and a process the theme is on earth as it is in heaven but the process is how that theme comes about and a couple things i think we need to realize is that god is actually committed to fulfill his promises when we, have the, when we have the mindset that we're trying to convince God or that God might not want to do the things that we're praying for, it's really hard to pray for things if God has already said yes to them and we're praying for him to do what he said yes to, how are we supposed to receive the yes? So God has already established some things in Jesus, saying Yes. This is my will. And then we pray for those things that he's already said yes to. And then we wait. It's hard to get breakthrough in an area that he's already said yes to. So what might that be? Well, for me, I I, I had a big issue with the concept of suffering that I didn't even realize that I had. Suffering can have two definitions in the church. The first definition, I think, is... uh, when, when someone talks about suffering, they talk about the things like, well, we're all suffering. Who doesn't know someone who's passed away of cancer? We, we saw you know, a, a, a wonderful woman, Eileen, a part of our community, uh, graduate to heaven this year, died of cancer. And uh, who hasn't had someone, a loved one, struggle with some kind of sickness, disease, torment of the body, something of that nature. And we can quickly, even in the church, define suffering like that. The problem with that is that that's not how Jesus defines suffering. In fact, there's not one scripture in the entire Bible that uses the suffering of sickness and disease to define the concept of suffering that Jesus is talking about. Not one time. When he talks about suffering, what Jesus is talking about is he's talking about persecution of being someone who follows God. It's just as extreme. In fact, it's much further because people will lose their life, and he promises that, you're, that there are going to be many who lose their life for the sake of the gospel. And that's the suffering of the gospel. <laughs> and somehow, the church over the last couple thousand years has gotten those two worlds diluted. And in that, we take much of our unanswered prayer and we put it on God, and we blame him for something, or when even when we ask God for things, even those of us that believe for healing, we... we we pray, and we say something to the effect of, Lord, if it's your will, or God, please, please, please heal this person. I, I, just, I, I pray your healing, I declare your healing, but like, there's still this posture of, "There, please, God, please. And uh, this quote by Randy Clark that I, I read this week really struck me. It says, for us to beg God to heal someone <laughs> is to assume that we have more mercy than God does. When, when our heart believes that we want someone healed and God doesn't, or that they're not being healed because God is choosing and doesn't want them to be healed, we have d- decided in our spirit that our view of God is that we have mercy on this person and he does not. And we are trying to pray in God's mercy so that he acts in a way that touches where our heart is. That doesn't seem dangerous. That is potentially the most dangerous place for the believer to be. If you believe that about God, you will question God about everything, everything in life, and you won't even know it. Because you can still love God, you can still live for God, you can still share about God, you can still intimately chase after Jesus. But if there's something in your heart that doesn't believe that God is much more merciful and his heart of compassion is far beyond anything your heart could ever do, your prayer life will be completely and constantly still tainted by this false view of who he is. It gets better. It's going to get a lot better, and we're going to aim on a high, and we're going to pray, and we're going to see God work today. (laughs) But can we just say as as a community, we will not subtly accuse God. We will not subtly accuse God by praying prayers that assume that we have more mercy than he does. Amen. Okay, we're on the same page. So the question, what do we do with these unanswered prayers? There is one scripture, and I think we've shared it here before. There is one scripture where Jesus teaches his disciples what to do with an unanswered prayer. And it's literally the only example in the Gospels where the disciples were taught what to do with their unanswered prayer. And it happens in, uh, in Mark 9. You can go to there right now if you'd like. And, but I need, to, I need to move quickly here to land. So in Mark 9, what happens? Uh, in short, the disciples are trying to, to help this poor boy. And this, this son of a, of a man, I think he had a mute spirit, or the, the disciples couldn't cast it out. It's important to know that up to that point, the disciples had had no problem whatsoever uh, casting out demons, healing the sick, seeing people radically change their lives and follow Jesus. They're baptizing people. These men are walking in absolute power and beautiful fragrance unto the Lord. And it says that even at one point that Jesus leapt for joy, and the, the Greek in that is kind of like, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, a, a, a silly, lighthearted, yippee type of thing, if you were going to interpret the Greek literally. I'm serious. That's literally how it's saying. It's, it, he's kind of like this unbashful, leapt for joy type of thing. The type of thing that no one would ever do. The the other example in the New Testament is is when the prodigal son's dad lifts up his garments and starts sprinting after his son. That's the atrocious thing that no grown man would ever do in that culture. And it's to make a point that they're doing a lavish, extravagant act because of what's welling up in their spirit. So when the disciples came back and said, even the demons... They, they submit to us in your name. Jesus leapt for joy like that in response. It makes Jesus super happy when the kingdom of darkness is invaded by the kingdom of light. Jesus never leapt for joy like that when the miracles and the power was happening at his hand. He did that when it happened by the hands of men, by the same spirit. That's amazing. Jesus is never more happy when we pick up on the same mission and spirit that he lived by and that we agree with heaven here on earth to bring it about. And so when they ask him to pray, teach us to pray, they're also kind of underlying, say, teach us to live like you. And we see that the reason why you live this way is because you pray that way. So somehow the praying is the key to the living. Teach us to pray in his prayer on earth as it is in heaven. And this is what it looks like. And so what he does is he, he, he's, he's basically saying that I'm really happy about this. You're not getting breakthrough here. They come to him. Jesus, we've done all the things. We've done all the, we've done all the magic church stuff you've taught us to do on, the, on this poor boy. And he's still not healed. Help. And Jesus... Not upset at the boy, he heals the boy instantly, and then when they're aside later, which is an interesting ministry principle. it was when they were alone, they ask him like, "What the flame happened, Jesus?" <laughs> we thought we finally found the thing that like it wasn't God's will for, and Jesus rebukes them he he confronts the disciples, not the little kid, not the father's faith. That's one of the things the church has gotten really messed up. We, we accuse the faith of the person that's coming in faith, no matter how small the faith is. His accusation was towards the, the man of God, the woman of God, that's supposed to be carrying the fragrance and the power of heaven. And he tells them, prayer and fasting. This, come, this kind come out by prayer and fasting. And as we pointed out, uh, Jesus did not pray. He did not fast. So why did he just say that? He said that because he's telling them, I have a lifestyle that has given me access to this glorious heavenly bank account that I have access to at any point that I can make a withdrawal from. You need to invest in that account. You invest in that account by prayer and fasting. So it's not your magic words. It's not, you speak this way to that evil spirit. It's, it's, it's not, well, you didn't have several people lay hands on him. It wasn't actually, you should have had him put mud on his eyes or dip in the river seven times. Prayer and fasting. You, Peter. You, John. You, Philip. That's what he's accusing them of, or he's really ushering them into. What does that mean? It means that it was God's will to do something that didn't happen when they prayed for it to happen if we if we learn nothing else it's that jesus demonstrates in his gospel beyond anything that you can argue with is that it is more than possible for you to have something that you should pray for and you should get breakthrough in that it doesn't get breakthrough in and it's god's will to bring breakthrough in it and what he said the solution was if jesus wasn't there in that moment the solution is praying fast The beautiful thing about that, and the complex thing for me about that, is that it's like, well, Jesus, you're here with us all the time. Yeah. And I think it also exposes that if Jesus' main goal is just to heal people, he would never have left, because he could just come and bail us out whenever we needed it. Every, Every miracle encounter, every power encounter with the Father is an invitation to see him and to know him. It's not for him to do what we need him to do. When we see that, that that the miracles are not for us to get from him what we need, and it's rather for him to display who he is, it changes the whole point, the whole purpose, and it changes most of our issues. Why? Because when the point is, is for the Father to reveal himself, I don't have to live in the offense of not getting breakthrough here while I get breakthrough there. How did Jesus demonstrate that? John's disciples come to him. John is rotting in prison, the guy that baptized him, the guy that was born of of Jesus' mother's cousin who they've known their whole life, who's believed in him and prophesied into Jesus' ministry before anyone else saw it. John's rotting in prison. His disciples are sent by John to go ask Jesus, Are you really the one? Or are we supposed to look for another? Because if you haven't noticed, I'm rotting in prison. And Jesus says to him, Go and tell John what you see and hear. The lame have sight, the blind see. The poor have good news Preach to them. In other words, they are focusing on what God is not doing in their unanswered prayer. John, your breakthrough is going to come on filling yourself on the testimony of what God is doing. Not ignoring what you need breakthrough in but living and saturating yourself in the well of what heaven is doing on earth right now. And I will promise you that every time I have an issue in my life where, where, where I'm discouraged and I'm burdened by what I don't have breakthrough, and it's because I'm not feasting on what God is doing. Every time. Every time. It, it's, why, it's why our prayer life needs to start with Adoration. Because when our prayer life starts with adoration, we're starting with the place of why we adore him, who he is and what he's done. And if you don't have a single miracle in your life that you can remember in the moment that you need to, you start with your salvation and you adore him that you're a child of God. From that posture, don't go anywhere else until every cell in your body is filled with that awareness of a perfect father. Then you can confront the petitions of your life with confidence, with conviction, with hope, and with life. That, that is the methodology that Jesus is doing in a single prayer like the Lord's Prayer and in a lifestyle of discipleship as a rabbi with his followers. This is the invitation that we're invited into. And it's beautiful. This is our way of life. Uh, I don't have time to get to the rest because I want to I pray. Um... So let's end with this. There's always a tension. There's always a tension between how many of you, if we just started talking over, let's say that we invited you over, we're having lunch today, so maybe we can start with that if you're coming over to the house. But if you'd sit down with a bunch of Jesus lovers, and you just start telling about the exploits of God in your life. I've lost track of how many meals or living room conversations where I enter in discouraged or just... And we just start talking about the things that Jesus has done in our life, whether it's yesterday, last year, 20 years ago. And every time the atmosphere of the room changes, my spirit starts to come alive, and I start to remember things that when I was alone, discouraged, two hours ago, I can't remember of a single thing the Lord's ever done in my life forever. (laughs) Testify, people. Testify. Anyone agree? Thank you. One hand. Two hands. We're lying today. Yes, this, is, this happens. This is how the people of God work. We need each other to remind each other of who we are and who this God we serve, what has he done in our life. And so we live with this reality that we carry the testimony of God. We carry answered prayers with us constantly. What seems to lead us are these unanswered prayers. I I will always have answered prayers and unanswered prayers in my life. In fact, if you don't have any unanswered prayers, you also are not praying. (laughs) That does a couple of amazing things. It means it's okay for you not to be okay. But it gives you the place of how to address the lack of your okayness. In fact, we are required to have these things that are not answered. You've been placed here because of a world in chaos needs a people of God to come in to the unanswered and to bring a reality, not with the pressure to bring all the answers. The church has tried to do that for far too long. It's never worked out really well when we bring an answer. If if the answer that we bring comes instead of from the mouth of having correct speech, it comes from the heart of having the presence of someone, it allows us to enter in to any place that is deprived of light, meaning that the light and darkness conflict, the tension between answered and unanswered prayers is brought into a place where the unanswered and the answered kind of have this, this, this mesh where, where you bring your unanswered prayer into a place where all of this, this answered stuff, the testimony of the gospel of Jesus just kind of overwhelms it. I I can think of uh, of multiple times that I come into a place of of community with people, and we're sharing the testimony, we're praying over each other and encouragement or whatever else, and and there's just so much life in the room, and maybe there's tears, maybe there's laughter, maybe there's just joy and worship and whatever else. That's a really good time to bring in your unanswered prayer. Why? Because it's putting it in its proper place. You just put it into the environment that it's meant to go in. A place that's going to be overwhelmed with hope, life, and expectation. We're wired to seek people that are like ourselves. That's why even you're, you're all here. But we do that even in our negative mode, right? When when if your negative mode is like kind of complaining about something, you will find the people that complain about the things that you like to complain about, and you will follow them on social media. You will like their likes. You will like, yeah, 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 yeah I like how that guy thinks. Yeah, it's like, I I do that for some of my the stuff that I, anyway, it's the. You can tell I wasn't planning to share this example it's a little rough, but the, the, I'm, thinking, I'm i'm just saying that we, we find the people that think even the way that we don't like to identify ourselves, the stuff inside of us it's easy to find that person, maybe it's you know a gossip, maybe it's something else that's just kind of like hmm. The point is is that we can find those people, those people will then give give momentum, and they'll give a voice to our voice. That they'll have agreement, and in agreement, what happens, what started as a little place in your heart can, can foster and can build momentum. It happens the same way in the kingdom, where when you posture yourself around the people of God. They call forth the realness inside of you, the gold inside of you, and it silences the stuff, the junk. What it doesn't do is it gives you no place to bring up your pain, your wounds, your hurts, and your unanswered prayer. What it does do is it gives you the opportunity to put it in a place where something can actually happen. And we are meant to live in that tension of unanswered prayer with the answered prayer. Our invitation today is can we be a people that are, that are so intimately committed to a lifestyle of prayer that looks like the intimate love relationship with Jesus as a community, that, that our stuff of unanswered prayers... We're literally excited when someone walks in to our home, to our small group, to our church, to after-church prayer, whatever it is, because we're living with an expectation that the God of endless resource has a deposit in a transaction that he wants to make, and that that person right now doesn't feel it, that person doesn't know who God is in their being that's right in front of them. I've seen them know it, but right now they don't know it. They need this body to remind them of who they are and the access to the account that they have. And I have the privilege to take their unanswered prayer and enter in with them to the throne room and allow the presence of God to meet them. That's the way of life we've been invited into. Can you stand?